Welcome everybody again to the Tag Your It podcast. I just had like a little thing in my throat. Whoa. Anyway, I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Bever. Yes, and so yeah, we didn't meet I up. usually say Dave, yeah. but I just decided I'd say yeah, David Van Bever today. Yes, yeah, so let's do the That's full my, name. My goal. Yeah. I'm the uh, Ray Ray two-name guy, you're Dave Van Bever, the three-name guy. Yeah. Or I could so, go Dave yeah. Guy Van Bever, be the yeah. four-man guy, four-name yeah. guy. Oh, man, <laughs> the guy guy. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we uh, missed you guys last week. We missed doing, I missed doing this last yeah, week. Yeah, me but, too. Uh, where were you? I was in Cassville, Missouri yeah. with Mike Haynes, yeah. Josh Hall, um, and some other pastors. And I could give everybody's name, but those are, yeah. you know, um, Curtis Estes. And Jared, and I'm struggling with Jared's last name, and then Mark, and I forget Mark's last name too. Yeah. And I feel bad because I've known them for all for about two years, and I kind of struggle with their last names. But it was good time of fellowship and encouragement, and was nice to get away. We'll have to go to Cassville or to Peace Valley. Which is yeah. where I went after this, and so, yeah. Hope everyone liked my article from last week. It was yeah, fun yeah. to write. So, and... so, yeah, we got a few more of those that are going to come up yeah. over time. So, Dave's got some stuff. He's going through schooling right now. He is writing his fingers to the bone, and so hopefully right. our website gets the benefit <laughs> of that um, with some added content. So, we're not just videos. We're not just podcasts. We got some stuff out there in written form as well. Yeah, and we're hoping... that I think the challenge may be for me, too, to, to write... Um, some things um, I've got some get some stuff on the back burner as well. So yeah, and the other little element of that is we are hoping to have some other people write some articles for us too. Yeah. And then next week we have a pretty exciting podcast. I know I want to get into the material we have today because we only have a limited amount of time to do it. Yeah. But next week we will have. Are you ready, Jake Wright, mm-hmm. who is pastor at First Baptist Church Carthage, and we will have Doug Shivers who is pastor at Boulevard Baptist Church here in Springfield. Mm -hmm. We will have Adam and myself, and we will be doing the very best job we can to deal with what I believe are serious Southern Baptist issues. Mm -hmm. We'll, again, say that we're united as a group of founders-friendly churches and and people at Founders Churches, and uh, we'll deal also with what I believe are very serious Missouri Baptist issues that I think are going to come to a head possibly at the annual meeting and uh, it's just because there's been some things that have been suppressed and uh, some things that needs correcting and I don't say that judgmentally I just feel like that's going to happen I'm not going to be a troublemaker but yeah, and so if you guys uh, if you guys remember, we had uh, Doug Shivers on this show a long time ago talking about you know Reformed theology and Baptist life, especially in the Greene County area. Um, we had him, and we're going to end up getting to speak to him again. We I got to talk with him at the Greene County Associational meeting about a few things, and I'm excited because he was just like, man, I loved being on your podcast, and he was just remembering that and uh, thanking us for letting us on, and we were just like, uh, dude, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, for being on so we get to have uh, him um, around us again and to put him out there anyway and his uh, his brain again as his son said is a sponge and so um, he has a lot of things in there and you know you get him talking about things you can learn a lot um, from a very spiritually mature 
man. So and you know, I again, next week's going to be awesome. Yeah, and I want to encourage you too yeah. to be sure to come by the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network page. Uh, not page. The Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network table will be giving out a few more books, a few different pieces of information, and uh, just making connections. Because one of the things that I think is really important about the network is that while all of the apologists don't agree on methodology, while all the uh, apologists don't have the same soteriology, we do believe in defending the faith, and we will stand united in that. And man, uh, I don't know of an apologist on that network who wouldn't do whatever they could to come out and mm-hmm. engage you. So, yeah. all good stuff. So, yeah. So, yeah, next week's going to be awesome. I just talked with uh, Jonathan Ayash. He gave me a call today about next week and how he was excited to hang out and all that yeah. kind of stuff, too. So, yeah, come on out if you guys can make it to Branson. Uh, I know I will be there all day on Monday manning the apologetics booth. Um, I think you'll be there. Yeah, majority uh, of the day, Monday yeah. and Tuesday. I think Tuesday yeah. is my big day. Yeah, your big day. So, uh, but the, yeah. I was going to say something. Yeah. You know, one of the things I know this is we're, we're recording and it's, it's all good. Well, we probably could do some little mini shows with some of the other apologists who yeah. are there, which yeah, might be kind of a little, cool idea. We can figure so, something well, out we'll figure it on out. the fly. Yeah, you know, we're, stuff, man. Yeah, we're very informal here, so we'll just do something off the seat of our pants there. So anyway, um, to get into what we wanted to talk about tonight, I think this is the first in a series of a few things that Dave has brought up um, to talk about, especially in light of the debate that's going to come up on in December. We, yeah. we have a December 2nd, but we might there's fluctuate some, Yeah, that. there's yeah. some things that are different in there. It's going to happen. It's not going to be like the debate that we said was going to happen about the animal rights issue. This one's happening, yeah. but we've got some irons in the fire and other places it will happen it'll either happen here on the podcast or it'll happen actually more publicly and and that's what we're really shooting for is and that's one reason why we might have to adjust the december 2nd date uh simply because we want to make sure we have a good a good place to do the debate and that we are able to get some people to come and that would be a real important thing you know please uh once we get the date posted like we already have it on the second be sure, if you're listening to the podcast, if you watch the live stream, that you encourage others to attend the live debate. Uh, that is something we want to, again, always try to do more of because we mm-hmm. believe that it's a really important thing. And we do have other ideas that we will be pursuing. And I haven't given up 100% on the animal rights thing, but we might have lost that one. Yeah, so, yeah. And that wasn't because we did anything. It was because they flaked out. Like. Uh, other people have flaked out before, and we could just name call all those folks because they certainly are cowards. Yeah, things things happen, and so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, the common grace and whatnot. Now we can just pray that it happens, that we are given that opportunity and that sort of audience to preach the gospel to. And but until then, you know, it is what it is. So, but anyway, we're coming up to that debate, and we're going to be talking about the, you know, just the attributes of Scripture. Um, there was something that happened over the weekend, kind of led um, to shoot off the hip and go into um, a certain issue, a certain attribute, the uh, clarity, or not the clarity, but the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, so we want to talk about that, but this is leading up. We want to carry you guys along with us into the debate. So if you don't know much about the attributes or nature of Scripture, now is the time to get with us, um, carry on with us, so that whenever you get to the debate, you can have discerning ears to hear um, both positions, because they're going to be very... The language is going to be very close, I think. I was just talking with a guy discerning. about this, yeah. and he was, and I was telling him a little bit about the debate, and he's like, man, um, that could get a little bit confusing because there is some similarities, but mm-hmm. it's not. we're not going to be affirming the same thing. Phil and I disagree about 
inerrancy. Yeah. God bless him. He loves scripture, but we disagree. And I will tell you, he is going to be well prepared. Um, he has published academic articles on this. And so he also has a podcast of his own. Yeah. And he is going to be prepared. It's not just a roll in the park for him like when we dealt with the with the atheist. I think we've proven that the atheists just show up and shoot from the hip without yeah. any preparation and just throw stuff together in a way that's just completely um, fallacious. So with that said, we've got yeah. the discussion uh, we're going to start with Johnny Mac, and then we'll begin to, to yeah. work from there. So yeah, and this is a, this is kind of what will lead into why we uh, picked uh, sufficiency to start with first. But anyway, but if you have uh, been on the Twitterverse, Facebookverse, and Reform Land, uh, SBC Land, and a lot of lands, um, I think even Heavy.com uh, took this article on as well. So that kind of reaches yeah. into and an audience. Yeah, and today we saw JD yeah. Greer, Micah yeah. Fries. Uh, comment on it. Um, there yeah. was a few other people that commented on yeah, Twitter on it. Joe Thorne, um, on their yeah, yeah, they uh, on the Theocast. We're gonna uh, deal with it differently. So we, yeah, we're gonna take you know our our we're gonna put our put yeah we're gonna put our, our, our if piece everybody's out. gonna talk about it, we're gonna talk about it too. But uh, we're gonna just we're gonna quickly get into this, talk about it, get out. And let's talk about sufficiency of scripture. You'll see why. So anyway, I'm gonna start the clip. This is Johnny Mac um, getting asked a question by Todd Fryell. Um, and uh, if you have not, if you're not in the know, now you will be in the know. Once she loads. <laughs> that happens sometimes. It's a nice little thing about oh, yeah. sometimes and the internet connection. Have, yeah, the internet connection and, you know, a little bit of a uh, user error. Ah, I will say a word, and then the three of you need to give a one or a pithy response to the word. Are you I feel ready? like I'm being set up. <laughs> that is always the case with Todd. Watch out for him. He will try to embarrass you. We're going to start out. This is, this is just kind of touching your toes. Easy, easy setup for you. Let's begin with an easy one. The word is Beth Moore. That's two words. <laughs> Literalist. All right. Dr. MacArthur, Beth Moore? How many words do I get? You know, actually, and, and before you answer this, please think here. And so, you know, he's... Yeah. So this right now that we're in a conference, uh, Todd is asking a question. They're going word association here. So, and it's you know, something they've done in the past yeah. as well. And it yeah. is a more lighthearted thing. They're not trying to make fun of people or be dismissive. But if you've ever been to a conference, you know that... You know, you get through a lot of serious stuff, and then many times in a panel discussion, there will be some more lighthearted moments where people will intentionally try to uh, lighten the mood. And so, again, Friel, who is always joking around, I mean, if you watch Wretched, uh, Wretched Radio, you know that he's he's very lighthearted. He's not a, a jerk or trying to be mean. But they're kind of trying to lighten the mood, but they actually do want to deal with a serious issue. So, yeah. again, sometimes that is a complex area to go, and so... Before you begin to just blast MacArthur, understand like nothing here is to be intentionally mean or cruel, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this is actually a serious issue. They're addressing it at first in a lighthearted way. Yeah, and so for those people that don't know what's going on, why you know you heard the the word or the name really Beth Moore, and you heard the whole crowd laughing. Yeah, um, you see that sort of taken very lighthearted. Why? They yeah, knew. Why? Okay. Yeah. So, what is what? Is, who is Beth Moore, Dave? Yeah. So, those of you who don't yeah. know who Beth Moore is, she's a Southern Baptist leader, a big producer of Lifeway material. Specifically, she started working on material for women's studies. As time has grown, uh, it is really odd how she has developed to be in movies. And she has come to, in this last year, talk about the fact that she was going to 
preach on Mother's Day. And of course, this did result in a back and forth between her and Dr. Strand. This occurs right before the Southern Baptist Convention this year, so it brings us into kind of a, a point of contention before the Southern Baptist Annual Meeting. A lot of things were said, and uh, it's very interesting that she is celebrating the fact that she preaches at her church. Um, yeah. That is a very odd thing. It's something that we don't see in scriptural scripture at all. And therefore, if you're going to be a person who wants to essentially engage in worship as we see it in scripture, this is not an element. It is a element that would be foreign to what we see in any example in scripture. Yeah, and even on the other side in Baptist um, theology, or at least Baptist statements of faith and stuff like that, yeah. this would be against the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 ideas or any really historical um, Baptist, if you go yeah. back in history, they would be like, you don't have women speaking authoritatively in a church, right? Hey, and so I'm this is the issue that's coming up in the SBC. This is why, um, you know, this isn't just an isolated incident. This is a long time coming. So this is kind of a, you know, John MacArthur's not SBC. Yeah, but he has spoken. He's Baptist, so there's yeah. the larger Baptist family here too, and so he has spoken on this issue. Time and I guarantee again, and you that is. there are thousands, if yeah. not tens of thousands, of Southern Baptist pastors who use MacArthur commentaries oh, yeah. almost every Sunday. Oh yeah, and so you know this isn't just an isolated incident. This is something that's come up. So this is kind of like a joke. Um, you know, MacArthur and Beth Moore um, are in contention all the time, and so that's why the laughter there. Um, and so just to bring you. Guys guys into the know if you didn't know i just wanted to put that out there but let's continue on carefully this time because last time you did a one word association yeah, the guy wrote a book about it and we don't want that i was thinking of the same word okay go home and that was the one statement that shot across the board over the weekend yeah. so um, whenever um john MacArthur, you know the word association here whenever john MacArthur hears the word or the the word or hear name beth moore he says go home yeah that starts a big old Backlash. Now, again, yeah. I want to do some contextual things. Yeah. In this situation, they're playing a little bit of a game. Now, here's the thing. That's not all that MacArthur said. Yeah. So anyone who's going to attack him for saying, go home, did you listen to the rest of the statement and the rest of that discussion, which we're going to play a little bit of that, because he's demonstrating that there's a bigger issue. And the bigger issue isn't just Beth Moore preaching and celebrating that as a Southern Baptist, the bigger issue is the way that critical race theory and intersectionality has crept into the Southern Baptist Convention, and this is only evidence of that. I expect to see more stuff like this because the SBC, unfortunately, seems to be embracing this idea of women preachers. Did anybody ever watch what happened when Dr. Moeller shows up to Southern in 1994 and is introduced to the students in the Open Student Forum, and he's lambasted because he holds a, the holds a conviction that women are not to be pastors because that's foreign to Scripture. Like yeah. this is why it's a bigger issue. So don't attack him for saying go home. Listen to everything he says, and I do say that to people that I respect because I don't think that they're treating this fair very fairly at all. Yeah, yeah. Don't just uh, be a part of the uh, soundbite culture. Um, listen to everything. Um, give people grace. I where, have where to. You have to give people grace. So I understand um, the the heat and vitriol behind this. Um, I live in it in my life too. I have a personal relationship between me and somebody that uh, believes that you know women 
or like women pastors, uh, women preachers, and stuff like that. You know, I'm I'm in this the heat of this argument too. But we got to be calm, and we've got to give each other grace toward each other. At the same time, civilly disagreeing. Yes, sir. Go, okay. Well, I've just oh, yeah. got to make sure I've got my BFM two thousand all the way <laughs> yeah. pulled up. Do you have yours? Because I. Well, there's the front. Is that? Yeah, that's, that's just the front, the front page. page. Sorry, there's just something that I saw. And sometimes, again, hey, thank you so much for watching us and knowing that we are uh, working together to put these <laughs> things forward. I, I'm really interested, uh, and it just caught my eye. God bless the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. Greer. I have great admiration and respect for him. Um, man, I was excited to hear him preach at for the church. But he tweeted on this, dear Abeth Moore. You're welcome in my home anytime. Hashtag BFM2000. Now, that's really interesting to me because I don't see anywhere in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 an argument for women preachers. Um, yeah. Sorry. So while you're playing a little bit, I'm just going to give myself another scan because I, I, I don't. Yeah. All right. Go for it. Yeah. Well, I, I see we're warmed up. Um, there's no case that can be made biblically for a woman preacher. Period. Paragraph. End of discussion. And so, you know, here comes that idea of sola scriptura. Sufficiency of scripture. And this is where he's going to. So he's not meaning go home, be barefoot. Like, I'll, I'll have to end up just uh, recounting Joe Thorne um, on Theocast. You know, this is, you know, he does not mean go home and be barefoot, pregnant, naked in the kitchen, whatever. Yes, exactly. Uh, that sort of, you know, uh, misogynistic idea. This is not misogynistic. For some reason in this culture, whenever you say anything um, in that, it always goes swing the pendulum over here. And go, oh, you think women are second-class citizens, that we have no ministry, um, no giftings, no nothing. And the thing is, is how, how about we give you grace that so we can talk, and then you give us grace to where you don't go that far in your head. Amen. Stream so of consciousness, let's, yeah, let's today. Let's narrow in and go, okay, how can we give each other grace? What is John MacArthur saying? He's not saying anything to anything yet. He just says right here. He's saying don't preach. The biblical... Thing, you can't find it. So how do you answer that? You don't answer that by going defending, going, oh, so you mean I'm a second-class citizen, that I have no rights, no gifts, no nothing. Um, no, you go, no, if you if he's wrong, you go, but it does, and here's where. That's what we want to know. That's what I have asked a lot of people, and I never get that other than um, some miscategorizations of texts that speak to salvation or how God views the people in his church from the general view, but then we still have particular categories that we have to get into. This is called doing study. This, yeah. is, this is learning from the scriptures and maturing from the scriptures because it does give us universals and particulars, and this is one of those issues. Baptist Faith and Message 2000. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. I'm not understanding what the hashtag BFM2000 means. Yeah. Because the Baptist Faith and Message actually speaks against women pastors. Who preaches in the church? Pastors. Bingo. Hmm? Who preaches in the church? 
Yeah. Pastors. Yeah, so he, Pastors yeah. are yeah. called to exhort from God's word in a mm-hmm. special gifting and calling. It is exceptionally clear in scripture. All we have to do is go to Titus chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, all we have to do is go again to, uh, to 1 Timothy. We can see these things are exceptionally clear. God does not stutter about this. And that's why if you want to berate or belittle uh, Dr. MacArthur, listen to this. It's very clear when you read First Timothy chapter three. If anyone, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a mo- noble task. He must not be a recent concert convert. He must be well thought of. Friends, this is crazy that we are even having this conversation. That's why this is silly to begin with. Dr. Dr. MacArthur shouldn't have to be dealing with Beth Moore because this has already clearly been stated. And the problem is even larger than this. Now, listen, when individuals and gosh, I'm just going through a through a strew of different tweets from people that I do respect, but I disagree with them because I believe that there's a slippery slope here. Listen, I'm not one who says women are not gifted to teach. wrong Scripture, again, affirms that very idea. But what I'm telling you is, standing behind the pulpit and preaching mm-hmm. and exhorting as the overseer is called to do in a special way is reserved for the elder pastor. Yeah, and this is, again, he uses the, like Paul, whenever he talks about this, he goes to the design of creation. He goes to what happened at the fall and all those kind of things. You know, like the I, I constantly hear, well, you know, it's a cultural thing. Women didn't know much at the time. They were un- uneducated. They were treated as second-class citizens. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It tells people, it tells women they are not second-class citizens, but it does still give them a distinguished role because of the design initially. And so that's complementarianism. There's categories, there's roles that we can see in Scripture, and that's what we have to go by if we're going to treat the Scriptures sufficiently, you know, that, that Protestant sola scriptura issue. And, you know, whenever I have uh, dealt with this in the past, I've had, you know, I've been told, you know, well, didn't somewhere like some you know they didn't know the scriptures they're like doesn't say somewhere in jeremiah that he would pour out his spirit on all people and i'm like that's salvation and you know and it's like you know there's no difference between jew greek slave free whatever and i'm like that's salvation um but that doesn't speak into that's that's the general issue but that doesn't like isn't there more information actually that the bible gives us and it gives us more information it gives us more categories and so when we're talking about the household of God, the church coming together as an assembly, submitting to one another in the way that they're supposed to submit to one another, um, you have elders, you have deacons. Um, those are the two offices, just like we only have the Lord's Supper and baptism. You know, there's certain things that we only have. What? And so don't add, don't take away. That's why we're not Catholic. That's right. We don't have seven sacraments. And so here's the issue, again, that brings us back to one of the topics that we want to key in on. And we'll we'll spend a little bit more time on it, but I want to to hear one last little piece of this before we do. The sufficiency of Scripture. Has God spoken in such a way that we don't need to add to it? Has He said enough so that we can understand what He has said? 
Has he spoken in such a way so that we can understand whatever circumstance we're in and the culture with which we are in, when it informs us of something, does it correspond with what God has said? Again, Scripture is so clear that there are distinct roles within humanity. Um, Again, it is all over the Bible. God created Eve as a helper for Adam. God gave Adam the authority to protect, right? This is so clear. And when we begin to say that there is no distinctions of roles within the church, we have a problem with the sufficiency of Scripture. We're saying God can't speak enough. God can't say it clearly enough, but clarity yeah. is another one of the attributes of Scripture. Yeah, and I yeah. The, that's the thing is we're going to be talking about, you know, um, with with this whole issue, um, and Van Til um, and his apologetic gets it right, and it's just the fact that... Um, if you look again, um, if you've listened to my um, issue about the church and community groups and stuff, what did I hit on? It's Ephesians three ten that the church is the is the display of the manifold wisdom of God, and so um, the CSB I like the word that it uses for that manifold is multifaceted, which is the diamond. It's what I wrote about, uh, and, and you know it's, it's not that I came up with it or Rob Phillips came up with it for his book, but it's something that comes. And I'm I'm going to say that Van Til didn't come up with. With it. It's just definitely something that is descriptive of what, um, and Frame even uses it um, for the way Van Til thought about attributes, about just everything in Scripture. Everything involves everything. So um, if you look at a diamond, you can't consider the whole diamond without all the facets inside that diamond. And then whenever you take a facet of the diamond and look at it, you can't just look at it without neglecting the whole diamond. And so when we think about these attributes of Scripture, um, yeah, we're starting with sufficiency, but that presupposes all the other ones. They That's all, right. And it's not in a linear fashion, like, you know, because of authority be, then here. So it's not linear. It's they all come together and they need each other to where you miss. And, you know, tightly connected to sufficiency is clarity. If you don't have clarity of Scripture, you don't have sufficiency. So they're all going to end up you get rid of one, and you get rid of them all, because then you become the supreme judge over what God said, and then you can do whatever you want. And the reason that we're dealing with sufficiency today is because mm-hmm. it has a real issue, yeah. right? The problem is going to be what we see right now, and, and this, is, this is a very scary issue, right, for Southern Baptists. And, and Dr. MacArthur is going to speak to it, and I don't want to be an alarmist. But as Southern Baptist, because I am a Southern Baptist, Adam is a Southern Baptist. Like, we're serious about this. We're invested in our denomination. We are going to have to deal with the idea that our our denomination voted as a resolution to be informed by a worldview, to use as a hermeneutic standard for understanding Scripture, a worldview that is in stark contrast to God's Word. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we had talked about this a little bit. Um, uh, I'm going to shoot over and talk about the Trevin Wax thing and then yeah. jump back to this. Is that mm-hmm. okay? So, um, an article from SBC Voices uh, back in June kind of quoted a few things that Dr. Trevin Wax said. And again, I was uh, recently... 
Uh, I presented a resolution to the Missouri Baptist Convention that renounced critical race theory and intersectionality. And when I was in that hearing, I was told and pointed to, oh, have you read Dr. Wax's article on why he... Uh, why the Resolutions Committee adopted Resolutions 9. And, and I had not, and I admitted that I had not. And I said, I respectfully disagree with Dr. Wax. Now, sitting in front of me right now is my Worldview Study Bible. The general editors are Dr. David Dockery and Dr. Trevin Wax. I believe he has written some fine material. I have quoted him in articles, uh, and I am very serious. I think he has many things right. I don't think he's some evil person. But here's where I find him contradicting himself. In his article, An Introduction to a Christian Worldview, Dr. Wax writes this, Worldviews provide answers to the fundamental questions of life. How did we get here? Why are we here? Who is in control of the world? Where are we going? What has gone wrong with the planet? What is the solution? People may not ask these questions consciously, but the way they answer such things in their own minds will shape the way they live. And Adam, you can see right here, I have circled it in red and wrote, yes. Yes. Here's what Dr. Wax writes about Resolution 9. The committee received a resolution on this issue and decided to speak to it in a way that warned against absolutizing critical race theory and intersectionality as a worldview, and yet remained cautious not to condemn all insights that could be gleaned from critical race theory and intersectionality subordinate to Scripture. He is, in that statement, made it clear. Critical race theory, intersectionality, not a worldview. But what did he tell us defines a worldview? How you answer questions like, where are we going? What's going wrong with the planet? What is the solution? That's the answer. Critical race theory tells you what's wrong. What's wrong is oppression of people who have all these different intersectionality points. Mm -hmm. I maybe maybe didn't nuance that correctly. But but intersectionality and critical race theory answer every one of these questions. Dr. Wax, do you not see, according to your own writing, where you've contradicted yourself? You are a smart man. How do you not see that? I would love to hear an answer to these questions. Intersectionality answers that question. Who is in control of the world? Intersectionality and critical race theory says those who oppress the minorities. Uh Where are we going? According to critical race theory, if we don't respond to those oppressors and cause them to renounce their oppression, then we're only going into a bad place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What's gone wrong with the planet, according to critical race theory? The oppression of the minorities. That's right. And I mean, that's one of those things. Is that is that an instance of things? Maybe. But that is a symptom of something greater from a different worldview, an antithetical worldview, which is our Christian worldview based on the sufficiency of Scripture, which tells us that is sin and there is so many much, there's so many much more things. And we are oppressed by our sin. We oppress ourselves. And we like it, and because we don't want to answer to God, and that is the main main issue, um, because we have to answer to the sufficiency of Scripture, because that will end up killing us and throwing us into the fire on the day of judgment. 
Yeah, so that's why the sufficiency of Scripture is so important. So, um, you know, one one question I want to ask, and I mean, we kind of uh, sort of blended. Uh, I apologize do, about but no, that, no, but like I just no, saw no, a great. good spot for no. it, and I, and I wanted it to, to no. go after it at that particular point. Yeah, but it's great. But, you know, it's one of those things I want to bring some people in. If uh, you guys have not talked about the nature of Scripture and stuff, again, I want um, to talk about, you know, what is attributes? What are What is the nature of Scripture? What are these attributes? And, you know, Dave is very good. He's the, he's the pastor dude, so he's articulated this a million times. But, you know, what are the attributes of Scripture? Yeah, so if you go to First Baptist Buffalo, you will have heard me say this a lot of times from the pulpit. The attributes of Scripture are the authority of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, those four pieces have been held by the Reformers uh, all the way back to Calvin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We can see in their writings and in those who were grandchildren and children of the Reformation— just as key as sola scriptura was what is the attributes. And and to be really simple, and, and this is not to be derogatory, when we talk about the attributes of Scripture, we're essentially saying when we summarize what Scripture teaches about itself, we can condense it into these common attributes. The clarity, the sufficiency, the necessity, the authority of Scripture. Now, one of the things we see happen within the church, starting back uh, with probably the German critical scholars, German critical scholarship, we begin to see an attack on the truthfulness of Scripture, right? Yeah. At, at that time, people like uh, Burkhoff, B.B. Uh, Warfield, right? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm kind of painting with a broad brush here. Yeah. Uh, when we see as a reaction to people like Schleiermacher and Boltman, uh, when we see those people begin to say, well, we can't really trust Scripture, that was foreign to what this the, what the church had taught throughout history. Um, I have just a, a few little statements um, that I think are real important. I've got, uh, I want to make sure that I pull these up. Sorry that I didn't have them right, right away. But uh, people like uh, Irenaeus would write that scripture, the scriptures are perfect. Augustine would write that there is no author, uh, excuse me, there is no error in scripture. Jerome would write that scripture is the bonds of truth. Thomas Aquinas would even say that scripture is all true. Thomas Aquinas would write that there is no falsehood in scripture. And then I really like, of course, because I like Calvin just a little bit, he gives us some pretty cool definitions, right? And I know I, I hope I'm not running off on a tangent here, but it was very clear throughout church history that people like Augustine, Arrhenius, people like Thomas Aquinas, uh, Aquinas, they all believed in the truthfulness or what they would probably call that time the infallibility of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calvin is my favorite on this because he writes about Scripture that Scripture is the sure and infallible record, the inerring standard, the pure word of God, the infallible rule of his holy truth, free from every stain or defect, the inerring certainty. And he goes on. Mm-hmm. Now, I point some of that out because around the beginning of the, uh, the end of the 19th century, the start of the 20th century, people begin to question for the first time, was Scripture factually true? Yeah. Right? That was not a question. And that brought about what we would call now the fifth attribute, which oftentimes falls under the authority of Scripture, and a lot of people will put it under there. But I would say the fifth attribute, and that is the inerrancy of Scripture. 
So when we take Scripture as a whole and we begin to look at and summarize what Scripture teaches about itself, it teaches that it is authoritative, that it is inerring, that it is sufficient, that it is necessary, and that it is clear. Yeah. A year ago, you and I sat down with a pastor yes. from this town, yeah. and he said, no, nah, Scripture isn't clear. No, nah, Scripture isn't clear. No, nah, Scripture isn't and clear. And unfortunately, by saying Scripture isn't clear, like I said, we got to put these things in a diamond together. If it's not clear, then it's not sufficient. Then it leaves it up to you and your own devices. You get to create your own church. You get to create your own God. You get to create your own Jesus. Yeah. Um, you get to create your own hermeneutic of whenever you study scripture. Um, and this is another shot across the bow again today because I had a discussion with somebody um, behind the chair. They're talking about um, basically what it equates down to red letter Christians. Um, people going, you know, well, I, I follow what Jesus has taught. Yeah. And, you know, and he was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time with him. And, you know, it's like, how would you deal with that? And I'd be like, well, um, okay, that's just fine. Let's let's deal with what Jesus taught. Jesus uh, said that he didn't come with his own words, that he came uh, with the words that he was sent with from the one who sent him. Um, you get down to his prayer. Um, again, we sanctify them by we, your truth. Your word is truth. There you go. And what did he bring to the apostles that Je- he prayed for? Again, Jesus, yeah. Jesus was really clear. I mean, again. In Matthew 22, he made it very clear in Matthew 22, verse 29, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. What what in the world? Jesus is is making it really clear that the scriptures are clear enough for him to know and that they have erred, right? Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus says that, he believes the scripture is not only clear— not only sufficient to deal with the problem that he's dealing with, but it's also inerrant. God could actually speak, mm-hmm. right? The scriptures had authority, yeah, right? Yeah, so that's how you deal with that, you know, and so what I was saying was, uh, you know, that uh, this is exactly how the venues tries to deceive you and to go like, you know, don't look at the, don't look at the Old Testament behind the curtain here. You know, don't don't look at that. Just just follow Christ, right? And I mean, following Christ preaches so well because it is true to follow Christ. But then what's going to happen is, well, Jesus didn't explicitly say anything about homosexuality. And it's like, well, he did not come out and just go, homosexuality is absolutely wrong in my eyes and I, I bore it. But what did he do? He did say that marriage was between one man and one woman. He reaffirmed the creation account of the uh, son leaving his parents and cleaving to one wife and becoming one. Um, he reaffirmed the Old Testament. Uh, he used the Old Testament to affirm who he was. Again, he didn't come with his words. He came with the words of the one who sent him, which is the words of the God of the Old Testament. He said, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. You know, he kept on alluding to the Old Testament. And we get to Timothy when Paul's talking to Timothy, saying, you are acquainted with those sacred writings. What is that? The Old Testament. Um, Paul was also getting these words from his vision of Christ that he got knocked off his horse, blinded. He talked to Jesus. He saw Jesus. Um, you know, so this is Jesus teaching Paul. This is, And then if you look at Jesus' prayer, he says, sanctify them in truth. And then all the people that believe because of their word, <laughs> he prays for you and me. In this too. So, I mean, we've got this whole account of the Old Testament, these old sacred writings, and so we have to believe it all 
But see, what they're going to do is they're going to hide you from this. They're going to keep you from, well, he doesn't explicitly say anything about it. And this is what exactly what the venues has done and continue to do. And, and a lot of evangelicals will do that yeah. same thing. Yeah. And I'm this sorry. This is the unhitch your Christianity from the Old Testament type stuff. So even Andy Stanley, even though he might not go so far as to go, okay, right now, it's going to change because he's already allowed an atheist to be a member and happy about it. Bragging about it. Yes. Which is crazy. How can you be... I had this conversation yeah. with a dear friend, mentor of mine today. Too often pastors will say, oh, we're all sinners. No, no, we are saints. If we are saved, we are saints mm-hmm. who sin, right? And I would tell you, what in the world does a church have to do with how can they enter into covenant relationship with a non-believer? That means that they yeah. don't even understand what... What membership is? I mean, we just go on this. Yeah. I, I want to jump back real quick yeah. to this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture. Number one, where do we derive this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture? Well, uh, Adam and I have done, you know, tried to do the best we could uh, as we've researched for this. Um, I believe that we are probably best served when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture to go to what Scripture says about itself. Uh-huh. And one of the best places for that is 2 Timothy chapter yeah. 3, Start. verses 15 to 16. Start I'm actually going to start with 14. Yeah. Paul writing to Timothy says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. So what was it that Timothy learned? What was it that Timothy was learning? Because Paul is saying, continue in on what you have learned, what goes on, knowing from who you learned it. Well, who did he learn stuff from? Well, Paul's already made it clear that he taught Timothy, but also, are you ready? Here's a real kicker. Timothy's grandma and mom also taught Timothy. Oh my gosh. In the home, right? And boom, there you go. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? Sacred writings. Mm-hmm. What does Paul mean by sacred writings? Timothy needs to remember the instruction that he learned from the Old, Old Testament. Testament. But that's not it. What do we know about the sacred writings? They're able to make you wise, what, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the most beautiful text, one of the most beautiful texts, all scripture, graphe is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, Mm -hmm. that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Oh, wait. Completely equipped for every good work. As Grudem would write in his great book that I carry around a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I know some of you don't like Grudem. I don't care. I do. Grudem writes, the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage, and this is a key piece, at each stage of redemptive history, mm-hmm. and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Frame, if you get into his... Yeah, so, tell so, us what Frame yeah, so says. Frame, I mean, Frame has a, a very, very simple uh, definition of sufficiency of Scripture, but Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. Now, um, again, uh, he talked about some more details, in, uh, but the thing is, is uh, Frame works out in his chapter on sufficiency um, exactly what Grudem. So we, we've got a Presbyterian, 
and we've got a Baptist that, you know, I he's a little crazy for me sometimes and some issues, but yeah. the thing is, is, where do we agree? And the same thing goes for the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 That's and I was the Westminster uh, Confession. Well, Both have the same um, chapter 1.6, which deals with the sufficiency of Scripture. So, so this isn't an esoteric idea that's come out of controversy. We're, for, we, we find, we're finally talking about it now in the 20, 20th and 21st century. This is something that is historical. Um, that we that has always been believed amongst the people that are filled with the Spirit and dwelt by God, put together as that spiritual house throughout time. So this is why it connects with the situation with Beth Moore and intersectionality. Number one, according to Dr. Wax, who was on the resolutions committee, mm-hmm. intersectionality and critical race theory answer those fundamental questions that he says a worldview answers, and then he denies it. The problem is that we are submitting to man-made worldviews when we affirm Resolution 9. Further, further, when we begin to say that a woman is great to preach, we're saying that Scripture didn't tell us enough about the women's, women's roles in the church. We're rejecting God and God speaking and saying, well, he didn't say enough about women. Because he didn't say enough about women, we're going to affirm this. No, Dr. MacArthur is holding the scriptural position. Here's the other little element. We didn't just make this up. This is a historic Baptist piece. Starting with the Baptist Faith and Message and working back, I think, is a nice way to do this. Mm -hmm. So the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says this about the sufficiency of Scripture. In Article 1, it says this about Scripture. Scripture is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. So, when we begin to say that we're going to view the world through the lens of Resolution 9, or critical race theory and intersectionality, we've, we've usurped Scripture in saying Scripture doesn't say enough about race and about oppression. When we begin to say it's cool for Beth Moore to preach on a Sunday morning at our church, again, preach at a Sunday, on a Sunday morning at our church, we're saying Scripture doesn't tell us enough about the roles of women in the church. We need to add to it. Now, again, I'm going to say something that might offend some people, and I, and I don't care. I actually think that Beth Moore has some really good teaching, right? I, there's things that are said here about Beth Moore that I actually don't agree with. I don't think that she's some problematic teacher historically, but I think she's gone way too far and she has gone way too far with the applause of where with a lot of people by saying, I'm going to preach on Sunday mornings. It's cool for me to preach on Sunday mornings. She has said good things. My wife has been blessed by some of her teaching, right? I, I have not read a lot of her stuff and yeah. I'm not, so I could not sit and say line by line. Let yeah, me there's, renounce there's everything. some stuff. And I mean, we can get, I mean, Tim yeah. Carter's put out some stuff from, yeah, we do he has, he's Christian done a good mis- job. Mysticism, but you know, we don't have to go. There are some, drastic things that she has taught or that it's implicit in what she talks about. So she has used a lot of Christian mysticism. And we've talked to this about this before on the, uh, you know, are, are we talking poetically or yeah. are we actually doctrinally talking about how God Bingo. talks to us and stuff like that? So it's very sketchy um, what some of the things that she's preached. But the thing is we have to give grace to people when they're right. They're right. That's Remember, right. Protestants. We agree on the Trinity. That's right. The Roman Catholic Church is correct 
on the Trinity. But again, our presupposition is we see it in Scripture and we don't need the authority of the Roman Catholic Church for us to believe it. Um, But when they're right, they're right. Good job, Roman Catholics. And I can say that without being degraded in what my beliefs are. So the same thing with Beth Moore. If she says something that's right, if you have searched the Scriptures yourself and see it, it's Fine. right. So, yeah, you know, amen. We don't need to. And so this isn't angry. just some attack yeah. on her. Yeah. This is a recognition that she is not listening to the good biblical counsel of solid, godly men and even solid, godly women that are saying you're not supposed to preach. Yeah. If you're going to preach, you're not Southern Baptist. It's in the Baptist faith and message, and I just read it. Like God has given men the role of preaching and given women other roles in the church like yeah i cannot nurse my son right no matter how much i would have wanted to nurse my son it's not gonna happen right uh there are roles in the home i'm not going to have a child god has reserved that amazing blessing role for women yeah and this brings up an interesting interesting point because we've got to go here's the law of nature and then here's the positive law of God. So That's we, right. We've got to look at a distinction between that. So where he's talking about, I can't nurse my son. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the law of nature. There's something that is not fitted for you naturally. So unfortunately, that's a disconnect from the whole Beth Moore issue because Beth Moore has a brain. She's made in the image of God. She's a re- reasonable human being. She has dignity. She could probably outteach a lot of people. But there's the positive law that is at stake here, which is what Paul says, I do not give authority to a woman to have authority, have authority over a man in teaching, especially in the household of God, the church. And so this is a positive law, not a natural law. And so there's a distinction to be made. It's a distinction of the difference between natural law and covenant law as well. So whenever you get into covenant theology, this is what makes it all make sense. Yeah. Um, but so we've got, you know, we got to make sure that whenever we're drawing our uh, allegories or analogies or whatever, there is more distinctions that we have to think about here. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I do not see any case that could be made for a woman pastor in the church. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is it, you, I, if you just give me Sorry. scripture, it's the same thing that I said on our debate recap with yeah. with Freemasonry. If you just give me scripture, if you just want to talk about that, but it's that's never the scripture given never matches, and then the other arguments are not scripture. That's right. So, so Baptist Faith and Message two thousand speaks really clearly on the sufficiency of scripture. We've got it there. Uh, remember that the Baptist Faith and Message two thousand is has been revised 1963, 1925. Right. Where did we get the Baptist, Mason, ba- Baptist faith and message from in many ways? If you get it from the mouth of the council that put the Baptist faith and message together, it was a revision of the New Hampshire. Which I have right here, 1833 Baptist Confession, New, ba- New Hampshire Baptist Confession, speaking on the sufficiency of Scripture. It says, Scripture reveals the principles by which God will judge us. And therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. Scripture speaks sufficiently in such a way that we can try the opinions of man, the conduct of humanity, the creeds of the church against it. 
it will give us the information we need to know. Yeah. And then in line uh, with that, let's keep on going backwards. Yeah. yeah we so have, this is a, we're going to go back to the Charleston Confession. Charles- Thank you, Tom Askell, for your wonderful work. Uh, what hath Geneva to do with Nashville? Uh, the Charleston Confession of 1767. Speaking to the sufficiency of Scripture, right out of the gate in Article 1 of Holy Scriptures, it says, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It goes on in Article 1, Section 6, to say, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in Holy Scriptures, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or tradition of man. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Holy Spirit to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God, the government of church, common to human actions in societies, which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence, according to the general rules of the words, which are always to be observed. In other words, God has made it exceptionally clear that he has spoken enough so that we can understand how the church should be governed, how human actions and societies are to be ordered. God has given us a sufficient word to understand yeah, those things. No, Thank no more, you. no less. And then that was the American. Yes. That was the people that came <laughs> over from England, right? Um, and then we got the 1689 London Baptist Confession, which, again, agrees with the, the, Presby- the, the Presbyterian side of things, the Westminster Confession. Beautiful, beautiful work of the 1600s. But um, this is only one point. They have a lot of stuff on Scripture when it comes to these older confessions. And I think that we actually need to probably deal with this more as Baptists oh, is going— um, we need to fully clarify. We need to be, God's clear. Why can't we be clear? We need to worry about this stuff. Um, God is sufficient. We need to be more, like we are so deficient. And But they were a lot more sufficient back in the day. <laughs> Amen. Um, yes, yeah, uh, reflecting that multifaceted wisdom of God when they uh, made their letters. But, you know, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. So we're not just talking about salvation. Not just talking about God getting glory, but we're talking about faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at all at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit, again, there's that mysticism that we see going on that they are thwarting here, or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge, again, agreeing with the Charleston here, this is coming straight from there, um, we acknowledge, one, the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and two, that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the Church common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordained by the light of nature and Christian purity. So there's a little bit of reasoning here, right, that we... There's a little bit of latitude, but the next line is what controls it, according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. So explicitly, implicitly, 
God is speaking, authoritative. We are not autonomous in this thing. We are derivative. Um, we think, we again, like what I'll always say with Van Til, we think analogously. Um, we are analogically here. We're thinking God's thoughts after him. We read scripture. Everything is controlled by scripture. And this is put in a statement of faith by a collection of particular Baptists in England coming together saying, here's where we land. We are orthodox. We are sola scriptura. Just like you guys in the Presbyterian and the Congregationalist camps and, you know, this actually utilized the Westminster and the Savoy Declaration whenever it comes together. So, talk about ecumenism, talk about unity and everything out of the 1600s. Let's go back in time and look at this, not as the good old days that will never be again that we have to worry about. Let's bring it back again. And and so, we, we dealt with the, you know, where we're talking about this... Uh, inerrancy issue um it built up into the 80s we were talking we're gonna there we talked about the conservative resurgence on the show um that brought back um you know the sbc was kind of the last one that was getting ready to go liberal and then the steer of the ship came back to where we are inerrantists as southern baptist and that's why you know in the uh, scripture section of the southern baptist faith and message you know whenever i you first read it you get a lot of inerrancy um heavy language in there. Yeah, amen. We need to get the sufficiency now. Exactly. The sufficiency, and that's why this podcast is dealing with the sufficiency yeah. of Scripture on a particular, on, on what I believe is two particular issues, and I guarantee you next week when we sit down with Jake and with uh, Doug, we will certainly deal with both of these issues. Yeah. Because Southern Baptists have to speak on them. We have to affirm the sufficiency of Scripture. God has said enough. We don't need to add to it by using a worldview lens from which to understand the world. We don't have to use a hermeneutic of the world in order to understand God's Word. That's the problem. And go back to the 1689, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in scripture. So that's explicitly or implicitly. So you can do that. So, you know, so you know, we've talked about a lot of what a sola scriptura is. You know, we've got a, I just want to take a few extra minutes. Yeah. What, what is not sola scriptura or, or What is not sufficiency of scripture? I'm glad you know, that you said that's, that that's I the to big sure thing that we is because, yeah. And what is not? Yeah. So, you know, think about it. You know, whenever we look in scripture, we don't see um, the finer details of biology or working on my car. Or all those kind of things. And, um, you know, that's true. It's not going to be sufficient as a geometry that's right. textbook. Scripture is not a science book. It is not a book on how to do plumbing. But it is a book that will demonstrate how the plumber should conduct himself. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, this is uh, Sam Waldron's. We had him on the show, too. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, he's uh, he's got a little... Uh, uh, thing in here about the sufficiency of scripture if I can get to uh, and, it anyway. and I would tell you the but sufficiency of scripture again is not going to give us every detail about how God created the cow but it's going to tell me that God created yeah. the cow and this is going to be a difference between again um, classicalism evidentialism and presuppositional that's right this is going to be again a, that argument for our position when it comes to the way that we uh, 
do apologetics the way that we plead from our pulpits or behind the chair or right. on the street or wherever we're at. And it's one of those things you've got to start with God. And so he talks about, um, here's an illustration of, um, you know, even though it's not a textbook on something, um, here's the illustration of the sufficiency. And he says, we may take by way of a stril- illustration, a typical Tuesday in the life of Chris College, a university student majoring in engineering. His Bible is insufficient as a textbook for his classes in calculus, biology, and French, but it does show him the path of duty throughout each or out or throughout such a typical Tuesday. It teaches him to pray and read his Bible in the morning, to be diligent and discerning in his students, and to avert his eyes when the college temptress walks through the library when he is studying. It does provide him an infallible record of creation and redemptive history. This record does set certain boundaries or limits which guide him in his study of biology and history. Any theory of history and biology which contradicts the historical statements of the Bible will he will properly reject. Thus, while the, eth- or the ethico-religious sphere of human knowledge is distinct from other spheres, it is basic to them all. So again, this is the starting with God. This is the presupposition of the Christian because this is what Christ presupposes. I think a really good picture, and I don't want to extend things too long because, man, I just think you, you hit it really good there. I think you've uh, brought us full circle. A great picture about the sufficiency of Scripture is that article that we just posted about UFOs. Mm-hmm. Why would I say that? Scripture doesn't tell us about extraterrestrial intelligent life, right? Mm -hmm. We don't see that. What we do see is spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, I can understand things that happen in the natural world, which are evidence of spiritual things happening. Yeah. Because scripture has spoken sufficiently on what that is. Yeah. Does that make sense? And then you can make those implicit... Deductions, Bingo. Bingo. And so we can talk about those things. So just a, a couple, just three more things yeah, to please. think about. Um, just uh, for maybe the non-believer watching this thing, but you know, sufficiency of scripture does not negate the necessity of the individual's diligence. So whenever we consider yes. Hebrews, whenever he is going through this and laying out this beautiful Christology of the priesthood of Christ. And in the middle, like he's he's going for the gusto. He's giving all this information about Christ and the covenants and being the high priest and what that is. And then right smack dab in the middle, he's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I got to stop here. The, I'm, I'm probably losing my audience. Remember, this is a sermon written down. Um, so Agreed. He's, he's, Agreed. he's probably <laughs> saying, he's probably looking at the crowd when he's telling this sermon and looking at the glazed over eyes whenever he's talking about all this grand Christ stuff, right? And he looks at them, sees their eyes glazed over, and he's like, wait a second, you don't know this stuff. And he calls them out and says, you should be teachers by now, but you can't handle this meat. You need the milk. And But then what he's, what is he doing here? He's actually calling them out. You don't know your scriptures. You have not considered this Jesus and every facet of what Jesus is and who he is, what he has done, what he is doing. That's why you are, whenever you're persecuted, you could fall back into Judaism where you could go back and believe in nothing and and, uh, fall away from the living God. This is why all the warnings are for, is because you have not considered Jesus Christ. And so, you know, just because the scripture is sufficient, we can't lean back and be like, 
thoughtless robots, right? Just be like, well, I have enough truth that's sufficient for me and I don't have to go anymore. I've done my, my due diligence that I said so. You know, God calls us to much higher. So we can't use the sufficiency of Scripture to fall back into laziness. That's right. Intellectually even. And I think I love what I again believe that Paul is the mm-hmm. speaker of Hebrews. Luke is the author. Um, well, yeah, and we don't even have to go that far. I mean, by Scripture's own definition, sufficiently, it describes Tim, or Paul to Timothy describes what a sermon is. That's right. We can look at rebuke, reproof, and all that stuff. That's In the definition Hebrews. of preaching the word. That's right. We can look at Hebrews and see that it fits the bill as a sermon. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 22. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. God's word is living, it is abiding in the believer, therefore we know how to love one another rightly. But then he goes on, quoting from the Old Testament, For all flesh is like grass, and all glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God's word is going to abide forever. Therefore, it is the ultimate standard by which we can defer to in understanding how things should operate in the church, how things should operate in our marriages, how things should operate in our society. We don't need to add something to it. It is standing. It is living. I like what the CSB says. It is living and effective. And therefore, we can use it. God has spoken enough. And so to move on, the next uh, thing that it is not, it is it does not negate the necessity of the Spirit's teaching. So we've already heard that in all these confessions. Um, these things are spiritually discerned. Now, this isn't Gnostic knowledge. This isn't special knowledge only given to certain people. The thing is, it's written. People can read it. People can know it. The uh, the truth suppressor knows this thing. They they know this stuff. They're I mean, we're supposed to be going and giving them the gospel and the Bible and all that kind of stuff and all our speech and all our actions. And so this information is available to everyone. Jesus is the one that enlightens every man, though it is spiritually discerned and will not be accepted as truth without the Spirit. So we're not going to say that the sufficiency negates the Spirit. That's right on. So... The Baptist, and, and given uh, given my history of being brought up in a charismatic sort of form, I was told Baptists don't care about the Holy Spirit. Once I understood who the Spirit was in His work and regeneration, I was like, "You neglect the Spirit as a Arminian, <laughs> Pelagian." <laughs> and almost. here's what I would tell you too: so, Do you want to know yeah. why Scripture isn't sufficient for the non-believer? Because they don't have the Spirit. Yeah. It will never be enough. Scripture will never say enough because it can't say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do not doubt this. Uh, you know, it's sufficient in and of itself, um, but you do. it does require the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one that authored. So we don't know. We might not know the author of Hebrews, but we do. The Holy Spirit authored That's Hebrews. Right. And so the same Spirit bears witness with your spirit. 
in the scriptures, and so that it is a ultimate sort of thing. We're talking about authority here. It's going to be circular by virtue. And then lastly, he says that uh, the sufficiency of scripture does not negate the necessity of common sense. And so we're talking about our brains. We're rational beings. God has given us a mind that works. We can understand what he has said and know that he has said enough because he has given us a mind that works. We can't say, well, God didn't say enough about that. Let me argue to show you that he didn't. No. Yeah. And And I think that's what's happening. Yeah. And so, you know, the thing is, is our minds, again, with that intellectualness, we can buzz with the glory of God in our brains and and consider this stuff. So, you know, sufficiency isn't lazy. Um, Sufficiency is a refuge um, that we do not offer strange fire on the altar Mm. and get consumed by God. God is gracious and giving us just enough knowledge that we can put in our brain. So whenever, again, like I said it before, a lot of people, but you put God in a box and it's like, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he put himself in a box like this, this, the, you know, this, this kind of looks like, I mean, it's a very loose box. <laughs> he put himself in a box so that I can go, who are you? That's right. And I can read about him and I can go, okay, who am I? I can read about who I am because of him. I can go, what have you done? What have I done? And I can, again, what is a worldview? There you go. And I can read and see the truth about him, about me, and that I'm not worried about, is it sufficient? Is there more I need to know? Just like Eve did. Whenever, yeah. And that's basically, God wasn't sufficient. And that was the, that's the thing that started this whole mess. And so we really have to take sufficiency... sufficiency. Clearly, what it is. dude. Yeah, I'm yeah. really glad that you went back to the garden on that. I think that's amazing. That's the problem. God, God didn't is, say enough. Yeah, you're According saying you're to, saying God isn't enough for you. And what to, he said doesn't wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same. And what thing, he gave you yeah. wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way. You know, whenever I think about my relationship with my kids, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that it's not enough for them. Whenever I say um because i said so because you know i know that they weren't they're not going to understand my answer on certain things so i have to go you have to just believe me try i'm try i'm not trying to lie to you i'm not trying to uh condemn you or treat you as a second class person i just know where your mental capacity is right now and you're not going to understand it right now and it's okay trust me i love you and just follow my simple instruction and that's it. And then as they get older, it progresses. Um, the light comes and gets processed better. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's so many things that get worked out just like Scripture in our lives. And so, you know, we simply need to trust God at his word and go the freedom of sufficiency. So, again, we're not just willy-nilly doing stuff. We know how to build the temple. We know how he wants to be worshipped. And we're not sitting here like with our heads cut off, running around like little chickens, but we can actually boldly approach the throne of God, knowing that we're not going to screw up because he has given us everything. You know, some people might take what we've said today about Beth Moore, about Dr. Wax, as if we are angry or bitter towards them. No, but I would like to know if they truly believe uh, specifically with Doctor Dr. Moore, or not? She's not a doctor. With Beth Moore, does God's word say enough? 
is God clear enough to give us roles? And do you believe that? Mm-hmm. I think that we're, this is a serious issue. I'm glad Dr. MacArthur addressed it. Yeah. Woe in my mind, woe to you who would attack him for standing behind the sufficiency of scripture. Yeah, and if all the and if in all this mess, all all the arguments can be well, his tone and that kind of stuff. If that's literally the only arguments we have, come on, that's right. We've got to argue better. We can't become the fool. We've got to argue better than that as Christians. God expects us to. Yeah, and so, if your best argument yeah. is his tone was mean, his demeanor was mean, they were. Do you being, have any more? Do you have an objective? Not a Did subjective. he objectively say false things? Yeah. Is he objectively right that she should not preach? That's the answer. Yeah. That's where you should be. Yeah. So anyway, I think we hit <laughs> all the nails on the head as much as we could and are, you know, our fallible. Hey, let me just say, I yeah. like the people who disagree with me yeah. on this. I, I just think they're wrong. I respect them. Yeah. I just respectfully disagree. And I'd like for them to show me from Scripture why MacArthur is wrong. Yeah. So let's show the world that we can be civil and disagree and talk about these things without taking shots across the bow um, as as far as we take them as clickbait because we are people of our time. So let's give each other grace. If we're going to be Calvinists, let's be Calvinist. (laughs) And if we preach grace, we better be showing it. So there you go. Dude, Adam, thank you. I so appreciate getting to do this with you. No problem. I can't wait till next week. Every week. It's going to be great. Oh, yes. All right, so, yeah, next week, we'll see you guys, hopefully, uh, from Branson. Don't know what time. If, not, if you're at Branson. We will we will give lots of alerts and stuff like that, so we'll let you guys know. Unfortunately, we, our discussion killed online by itself. That's okay. So, yeah. um, hope uh, that people on Facebook can download this thing and get the full uh, rest of the uh, right. podcast content. But anyway, um, thank you guys again for uh, being a part of the podcast. Remember, you are a part of it. Um, just watching it right. and commenting. And, and sharing uh, it. Yeah. Please share. Please share. Um, and please Give us get feedback. This, yeah. Invite your friends. And talk about sufficiency at your churches. Talk about sufficiency with your friends and uh, just see where we have all lacked that sufficiency. This is going to be a problem across the board, individually, congregationally, and universally, um, that we have not shown the sufficiency of God's Word. So um, let's repent um, because we have an advocate with the Father, and we can sufficiently know that we have that. And so that's awesome. So anyway, with that said, this has been the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Beber. (laughs) Soli. (laughs) Deo. Gloria.